0: Uh, Rick Amirati, who are the big favorites this week in the um, in the U.S. Open? It starts this week, of course, always ends on Father's Day, which is Sunday. Who's uh, this? Is Torrey Pines, right? That's correct. Big D tees off tomorrow afternoon,
1: and John Rahm is the big favorite at ten to one. Brooks Kepka is at twelve to one. Xander Schauffele is fifteen to one. Jordan Spieth twenty three to one, and Phil Mickelson he's the hot bet, which I'll talk about a little later.
0: Well, Phil, winning two majors at the age of 50, would 51, whatever it is, would be pretty tremendous. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, man. Uh, Paul Nolan's here. Of course, he's going to do the news. He's also, I'm sure, looking forward to the U.S. You know, the, this is the spot where Tiger beat Rocco in the 18-hole playoff, basically with a broken leg.
2: Yeah, that, yeah. Was, some, that was some finish that cool. game. That, was great. He, that when he was in his prime there, he was fun to watch. Yeah. Captivating.
0: Uh live from Studio Six b Paul Nolan is here with the news. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Uh Rick Delgado's funny... is here. Do we have what even is that? No, not tonight. No, not Tonight's tonight. Tonight's Wednesday. Right. But you're here. Yes, I am here. So you're gonna do things. So that's I good. will do things. Yes, how are you? I am good. And, and how, how are you? I'm very good. And Rick is gonna have sports. How are you? Big D, how are you? Very good. Uh lots to get into tonight. So I there's not many shows that I think i'm gonna focus the whole two hours on one thing but tonight might be tonight might be it I, i'm I'm struggling to find out what that might be well i bet you don't know what it is you probably think it's something to do with joe biden and it's not really to do with putin and biden no nope, it's not we can get to that i have a lot of stuff on that but Didn't it say. is it is what has started to come out um and i'm not passing judgments on whether i believe this is um Part fantasy, part real, all real, all fantasy. I, I I don't know, but it is really fascinating reporting that's being done by Revolver. And this piece that they put out uh, June 14th, two days ago, that most of us just heard about, at least I did, because I saw Darren Beatty on Tucker last night. And then he was on with Steve Bannon today, which I have clips of. But this piece in Revolver is... Um, Really unbelievable. So now I want to spend a little time in going through it. And you can make your own determinations. I mean, a lot of us already have pre-determinations of what happened on January 6th and what we feel about it. We've gone through a lot of, of what we know. We heard from the somebody at the FBI basically say there was no weapons found. We've heard some testimony. So we've been through some of this. But um, the title of their article is Unindicted Co-Conspirators... In January six cases raised disturbing questions about federal foreknowledge. And besides this reporting, also in the last week, I have seen Julie Kelly from American Greatness. She has appeared on Mark Levin's Sunday Night Show on Fox Life Liberty Levin Life Liberty and Levin. Easy for me to say, and he has sounded the alarm as well to say, you know, what is going on with these people who have been arrested and are being held on January 6th? We're we're hearing reports of they're being held almost as if they were at Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he has started to sound the alarm on that. Julie Kelly has appeared on the show. She's also written some pieces at American Greatness about it. Um, And now you have this that's come out. So January 6th is starting to rev up just a a little bit more in different ways than just the you know this crazy idea that somehow he started an insurrection which is as we've said is just nonsensical when you look at the actual facts on the ground and what he said and these knuckleheads that went in fine we we right from the start said either you either you support violence or you don't we don't we we said we said it from we said it from the day it happened what they thought they were doing, I don't know. But having said that, we have also shown you video where clearly there is a disconnect because there's clear clear video of the Capitol Police inviting protesters into the Capitol. There's there's video of outside of them moving barriers and saying, come up. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen it. Waving them in. We've seen it. Yeah, we played it here. So I want to give you a little bit of this revolver piece with some of the video in question and some of the kind of where they're going where darren Beatty's going with this so he says of all the questions asked word spoken and ink spilled on the so-called Capitol siege of january 6th none hold the key to the entire event quite like what senator amy klobuchar asked of christopher ray the democrat from minnesota asked the trump appointed fbi director did the federal government infiltrate any of the so called militia organizations claiming to be responsible for planning and executing the Capitol siege? Cut 52, Geo. Here is the first three minutes of her questioning of FBI Director Ray. Roll that.
3: Our witnesses all agreed that there is now clear evidence that supports the conclusion uh, that this insurrection was planned and a coordinated mm. attack on the Capitol. Um, that white supremacists and extremist groups were involved, and that what happened would have been much more dangerous if not for the brave actions of law enforcement. Would you agree with that?
4: Uh, certainly, there were aspects of it that were planned and coordinated, uh, but yes.
3: hmm. Well, there was a. I just noted that just today, reporting in the Washington Post, that on Monday, a complaint was filed against a member of the Proud Boys in Washington State. Uh, where federal prosecutors alleged uh, that, in fact, they had there were plans made for many different entries into the Capitol, is that correct?
4: Yes, uh, there have been uh, a growing number of charges as we continue to build out the investigation. Uh, either individuals who are now starting to get arrested that involving charges that involve more things like planning and coordination, or in some instances, individuals who were charged with more simple offenses but now we're superseding as we build out more of an understanding of what people were involved in and there were clearly some individuals uh, involved uh, which i would consider the most dangerous most serious uh, cases among the group uh, who did have uh, plans and intentions and and some level of coordination
3: and i think you've arrested now 20 members of that group or Wow. Is that right? The
4: I don't. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Well,
3: uh. it, and so what I was thinking when Senator Graham was talking is that if and they show up, we now know in this complaint with encrypted two-way Chinese radios and military gear um, that um, you must. There must be moments where you think if we would have known, uh, if we could have uh, infiltrated this group or found out what they were doing, and that. Do you, do you have those moments?
4: Absolutely. I will tell you, Senator, uh, and this is, this is something I feel passionately about, uh, that anytime there's an attack, our standard at the FBI is we aim to bat 1,000, mm-hmm. right? And we aim to thwart every attack that, that's out there. So anytime there's an attack, especially one that's this horrific, that strikes right at the heart of our system of government, right at the time of transfer of power is being discussed, you can be darn tootin' <laughs> that we are focused very, very hard on how can we get better sources, better information, better analysis, so that we can make sure that something like what happened on January 6th never happens again.
0: Back to the article, Christopher Ray is able to uncomfortably weasel his way out of answering the question directly, partially because Klobuchar, Does him the courtesy of not asking him the question directly. Klobuchar, as you heard there, instead asked the FBI director if he wishes he had infiltrated the militia organizations allegedly involved in January 6th. Assuming from the outset that there was in fact no infiltration, thereby providing the FBI director an easy way to avoid addressing the question one way or, or another. He says Revolver News is willing to address the matter directly in the following three questions. Number one, in the year leading up to January 6th and during January 6th itself, to what extent were the three primary militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and the Three Percenters, that the FBI, DOJ, Pentagon, and Network News have labeled most responsible for planning and executing a capital attack on 1-6 infiltrated by agencies of the federal government or informants of the said agencies. That's question one. Question two, exactly how many federal undercover agents or confidential informants were present at the Capitol or in the Capitol during the infamous siege And what roles did they play, merely passive informants or active instigators? And then number three, finally, of all of the unindicted co-conspirators referenced in the charging documents of those indicted for crimes on January 6th, how many worked as confidential informants or as undercover operatives for the federal government, FBI, Army counterintelligence, etc.? From now on, all discussions of January 6th must give way to a laser-like focus on these questions above, with an unwavering persistence at obtaining the answers. Uh, just a little bit from this morning, Darren Beatty uh, Cut30G, went on with Steve Bannon. Here's the first part of what he said.
5: So what's the truth about 1.6? Well, I think the key to unlocking the truth about 1.6 It's not any discussion about Antifa. It's not any of these side discussions. It's very, very simple. The question that unlocks this is this. Was 1-6 the result of an intelligence failure, which is the official story now, that's why they just couldn't stop the violence, or was 1-6 the result of an intelligence setup or formulated differently, a counterintelligence success? and this question can be reformed precisely as the following to what extent the fbi army counterintelligence joint terrorism task force any of these associated counterintelligence agencies to what extent did they infiltrate the big three militia groups most closely associated with one six proud boys Oath keepers three percenters further To what extent, when you look at the unindicted co-conspirators in the January 6th case, how many, if any, are unindicted on account of a prior relationship with the federal government, either as an informant or an undercover operative? Because if there was substantial infiltration of these groups, that would have meant that the government knew that there was potential for chaos and they did nothing to stop it. Whereas just months earlier, they thwarted this so-called kidnapping plot in Michigan. So if they knew, why didn't they thwart this? Why did they sit back and let it happen? And perhaps more disturbingly, if these co-conspirators are in fact informants or undercover agents, if any of them are, these are the senior people in these militia groups, then it looks even worse. It looks like a giant entrapment scheme (laughs) by the federal government itself
0: okay so there's the first part um quick reaction i don't know whoever wants to go first paul
2: well you know i you know i felt you know this agent provocateurs have been you know part of these sort of operations for a long time and i just don't know if we could trust anything in our government ever again and i just to me i wouldn't put anything past them at this point you know to me when they said they told uh, the capitol police to stand down there was a lot of uh there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies along the way that didn't look like good cop work to me. So, and it's I hard to believe that uh, that the, the term Antifa has never come up. They've never yeah. looked at Antifa yeah. or right. you know, all the organized attacks they have on all these uh, places lickety-split, so.
6: Well, not, not only that, but but the fact that John Sullivan was in there from
0: BLM. All right, along- more, more when we come back. Studio 6B17 past the hour. Time for some news. And here with that's Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, we got more about uh,
2: John Solomon. And Just the News is reporting on Hunter Biden. Burisma Pals tried to enlist the help of Secretary Kerry's daughter. Newly unearthed emails show how they hosted a 2015 fundraiser for Vanessa Kerry's charity, then sought her help in shining up reputation of Ukrainian energy firm shadowed by... Corruption allegations. Uh, in the summer of 2015, Hunter Biden and his longtime business partner and now convicted felon, Devin Archer already had an ace connection to then-Secretary of State John Kerry. A third partner in their Rosemont Seneca ventures was Christopher Hines, the secretary's stepson. But when Archer and Hunter Biden jumped into business with the Ukrainian energy company called Burisma in 2014, Hines wanted no part of the firm because of its terrible reputation for corruption. So Archer... The younger Biden and their Burisma cohorts targeted another family member, Secretary Kerry's daughter, Vanessa, as they tried to improve Burisma's reputation amidst corruption investigations in, in Ukraine and were being cheered on by the Obama-Biden administration's diplomats in Ukraine. So uh, this story just more and more keeps uncovering covering here.
0: Uh, yeah. You, and you would figure <laughs> that we've just barely scratched the surface, as we reported last week with John Solomon on all this. Hunter Biden corruption running around the world trying to get paid now and now more things like this are gonna come out.
2: All right, what else? Well Charles Barkley is uh is now the victim of cancel culture. Um oh. he uh, he speaks out now against it. Charles Barkley made a guest appearance on one oh six uh seven The Fan where he talked about his future um, and he mentioned he was looking forward to retirement. He recently said he doesn't plan to work past 60 because he wants to enjoy his retirement. Barkley keeps it simple and entirely honest and says working until you die is stupid. And uh, <laughs> he wants to avoid that at all costs. Um, he, he went on to see this is his actual quote. I, I'm trying to hang on for another couple of years until I'm 60 and then they can kiss my <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I'm working until 60. I'm not working until the day I die. That is stupid. If I don't have any money by now, I'm stupid. And, I sh- <laughs> and they should fire me anyway. But Barkley uh, went on to say, you can't even have fun these days without these jackasses who, who want to get you canceled and things like that. We've had fun all these years. And now all of a sudden... In the last year and a half, everybody's trying to get everybody fired. They won't even let me talk about San Antonio anymore. I'm always talking about the big old woman down in San Antonio. <laughs> and that and, uh, that stick has been going on for a long time and he's so self-deprecating. If you remember like he'll make jokes. I love going there with those big old women. They make me look small. Yeah. So he you know, he's always having fun with it. And uh, what's that.
0: interesting is we'll see if he makes it to 60 because he took a pretty good shot at the TNT executives. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so he may not be there tonight. Never mind. By the time he's sixty,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, if they cancel him, uh, the ratings are already struggling. I think they're going to they're in for a huge backlash because Barkley's always a breath of fresh air. We talked about him at length when he talked about. I think our leaders deliberately pit us against each other, and yeah. they they don't care about us. They want to divide us and conquer us. Yeah, not a lot of guys have the gumption. Oh, I caught myself there. You know, to say things like that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I love the guy.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll do some more news of Paul. Let's do a little sports. Rick Emirati's here. What's going on, pal? And
1: speaking of Charles Barkley, he may be posturing for another contract. You never know. But I love Charles. He's an old
0: sixer. And speak- I, I don't know. I, I don't think so.
1: I don't know. Maybe. I He's mean- got so much money. He's great on Shark Tank, too. Yeah, he's fabulous. Well, Charles, right now, he, the game is on TNT down in the Wells Fargo Center in Philly. Charles Barkley, former Philadelphia 76er. His sixes are up 38-24 over the Hawks. Joel Embiid with 17 points in the first quarter. He's come to play tonight. This is a game five. Series is tied 2-2. We all know how pivotal of a game that is, so uh, we'll have a, keep an eye on that and give you a report later. Also tonight, the Clippers take on the Jazz in the Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. That series also tied 2-2. Uh, however, uh, Clippers star Kawhi Leonard could miss remainder of the series versus the Jazz with a knee injury that he suffered uh, uh, the other night. And uh, this is by Aaron Walsh Barker. After suffering a knee injury during game four against the Utah Jazz, L.A. Clippers star Kawhi Leonard said, I'll be good. Well, he isn't good and will reportedly miss Wednesday's game five because of the injury, according to ESPN's Brian Weinhorst and Ramona Shelbourne. His status of the remainder of the series is also in doubt. Uh, losing Leonard is a massive blow for the Clippers. The 29-year-old is averaging 30.4 points and 7.7 rebounds and 4.4 assists per game in the postseason while shooting 57.3. So he's a pretty lights-out player. Everybody's dealing with injuries. Obviously, the Nets as well, Uh, but... um you know that's going to be a good game tonight, and again another pivotal Game Five that's tied up. And speaking of pivotal games, we have the Game Two tonight with the uh, the Canadians and Golden Knights out in Vegas. Right now, the Knights are up one nothing in that series. And then tomorrow night, the New York Islanders and the Lightning go at it. That series also a hotly contested series, tied one one. Islanders fell to the Lightning four to two down in Amalie Arena last night. Got a little roughed up there. Got a little taken off track on their game. And uh, Coach Barry Trotz was a little a little upset about a too many men on the ice Missed call that yeah. he felt was a concern, but Island's power play has been so so. So I don't know how much of a bigger difference. That what do you mean so so? so? there are at twenty nine
0: percent. Come on. Now yeah. you gotta just listen. Twenty nine percent. Win your home. Ga- win your home games now. That's it. That's it. You went yeah. there and did what you had to do. Win your home games now. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, stop um, Rick. Oh. Uh, and let's go to
1: let's uh, one sport I don't give enough love to is the Euro Euro the Euro 2020 Football Championships, uh, which started last Friday. Uh, the final game will be played in England's Wembley Stadium on July 11th. So this is a month of great soccer in, in, in Europe. Uh, you have 24 teams playing across 51 matches in 11 host cities. Portugal is the reigning champ, and France, they're both favored. France, of course, won the World Cup. So uh, we'll have scores. Uh, earlier today, actually, Italy beat Switzerland three Three nothing and uh, Wales over Turkey two zip and Russia one nothing over. Poland and in a big match yesterday France did shut out Germany 1-0 in a classic game and speaking of 2021 uh, we also have a, a great story yesterday how the Coke market value dropped $4 billion after a shun by Cristiano Ronaldo this is from uh, this is from the hill this is Mariana uh, Petofsky Cristiano Ronaldo's snub of two bottles of Coca-Cola at a Euro 2020 news conference overlapped with a $4 billion drop in the value of the beverage giant the Soccer star moved two bottles of Coca-Cola away from him during a press conference on Monday, motioning to a bottle of water and saying, Agua, the share price for Coca-Cola, which does produce several brands of water, dropped 1.6% from 56.10 a share to 55.22 uh, per share almost immediately after Ronaldo publicly removed the bottles, according to multiple reports. So that's the impact of, uh, of a star player. $4 billion is a lot of money, but I mean the stock is worth uh, you know $252 billion altogether. Uh, so that was a, an interesting story. And U.S. Open odds. We have Phil Mickelson. Uh, he's receiving heavy backing from betters uh, ahead of the major at Torrey Pines. This is from Chris Bengel of CBS Sports. Uh, tee off tomorrow at Torrey Pines in San Diego, as we mentioned earlier. Phil Mickelson truly took the golf world by storm when he won the PGA Championship last month with the U.S. Open set to go get underway tomorrow. Betters are backing Mickelson in a big way as he aims for the career grand slam that's eluded him. After opening with 85-1 to 1 odds to win the U.S. Open, His odds have now dropped to 40 to one at William Hill Sportsbook, out of the 147 golfers for whom William Hill has futures. Only 13 golfers have lower odds of winning the major tournament than Mickelson. I mentioned earlier, John Rahm is the favorite Uh, one William Hill better did place a $2,100 wager on Mickelson to win the open uh, at 85 to one. So he's got nice odds. Uh, I'm going to go with Dustin Johnson. A couple of my followers asked me who my favorite was. I'm going to go with Gretzky's future son-in-law. I think he's got a good shot and I think Bryson DeChambeau may have a comeback.
0: I heard that the was asked if he wanted to play with, with. Um, oh, yeah. Kepka. What's his name? Brooks, and he said Brooks no. Kepka. With Kepka
1: Yeah, Brooks Kepka.
0: Yeah, but then his manager came out and said that wasn't true. He wasn't asked. So. Uh, All right, Rick. We'll do some more sports coming up. More news as well. And I've got. Uh, I have a lot on Biden and Putin. This embarrassment that he was. I mean, I just have so many things. Uh, I don't think I have time for thirty set. The, the, the set the stage um, on what this was. Yeah, we don't have time for this. I'll play it when we get back. But just, I have so much on Biden-Putin and his press conference afterwards. By the way, his treatment of the press, which I'll show you, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen, if it was the president, if it was President Trump, somehow I don't (laughs) think CNN would have been taking uh, the president's side as they did today, against their own anchor, by the way. 6 b 30 minutes past the hour on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Paul's going to do more news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amarati will have more sports. Geo Fran holding it down as always. Make sure you follow us on social media at LFS6B on Twitter, Facebook.com slash LFS6B as well. We're on um, LFS6B show on Instagram, and then of course Rumble Parlor, YouTube, all social media. Make sure you follow us. So back to um, Darren Beatty's piece in Revolver. He says, if the narrative about 1-6 does not conform to the three questions above, the American people will never learn the most important truth about January 6th and what kind of country we're really living in. If it turns out that the federal government did, in fact, have undercover agents or confidential informants embedded with, within the so-called militia groups indicted for conspiring to obstruct the Senate certification on January 6th, the implications would be nothing short of seismic especially if such agents or informants enjoyed extremely senior level positions within such groups. One of the key consensus points among the FBI, DOJ, and the regime media is the idea that while 1-6 is primarily the fault of Trump supporting QAnon-infused domestic terrorists, it is secondarily the fault of so-called intelligence failures senator klobuchar's own question at the march 2nd 2021 fbi hearing which i just played for you reinforces this quote-unquote intelligence failure narrative but she is not alone a five-month bipartisan senate investigation recently arrived at the same intelligence failure narrative to explain the breach of the capitol and associated events on january 6th if it turns out that the federal government had undercover agents or confidential informants embedded in these groups, the federal intelligence agencies failing to warn of potential for violence looks less like an innocent mistake and more like something sinister. Indeed, if the federal government knew of a potential for violence in and around the Capitol on January 6th and failed to call for heightened security, the agencies responsible may in fact be legally liable for the damages incurred during that day. One of the questions we've been asked, asking is, what did Nancy Pelosi know? And when did she know it? What did Senate Majority Leader at the time, Mitch McConnell, know? What yeah. did When did he know it? But most importantly, what did Pelosi know? So that's why she wants this January 6th commission. And as long as she's the first witness under oath, then let's go ahead. But somehow I don't think that would happen because the sergeant-at-arms says that she was approached with the possibility that there could be some problems, and that she turned down the request. I believe for. I believe she turned down a request for more Capitol Police. She turned down the request for the National Guard. National Guard, because they
6: didn't like the optics. It it would wouldn't look nice, right? Um, But also, if you remember back when we first found out about this, it was also the uh, the chief of the DC police who ended up resigning a few days later. But has been on record uh, basically saying, look, we got we got notified about this a few days early. He got notified. They, they reached out to the mayor. The mayor turned down. She sent a letter to the uh, and we've read the letter before, uh, basically turning down any help, saying we don't need any help. We've got this. It's all good. Don't worry about it. it it's almost like it was. You know, supposed to happen. I don't, know, I don't know. if That's going to make people think conspiracy crazy, but maybe it was this was this was the goal. So when you say intelligence failure, or maybe it was it was a success based on what they wanted to achieve that day. You don't think know. About, think, we exactly got to ask the right, questions Rick. though.
2: Think about it, Rick. Think about how much this worked to their advantage. They get this nonsense. Forever, they're, watch next January sixth. They're gonna treat it like it was nine right. eleven, a day in remembrance. We haven't not stopped. We all we do is hear about this optical illusion. In my opinion, I just feel like the whole thing was the perfect narrative, and I said it right from jump street. I, I, it's hard not to believe that this wasn't some kind of a psyop of sorts. So.
0: Well, in wrapping up part one of this, they say, in short, what did the federal government know in advance of January 6th, and when did they know it, and how far did they go to uncover, uh, how far did any undercover operations go? And I I think it's fair that every American should know the answer to that, if there's anything there. Again, as I said when I started this, I I am not uh, sitting here telling you that I think this article is, uh, I, I just think you need to try to get as many facts as you can. And make your own determination. So let me play you part two of Darren Beatty on, because this is part two of this article. And this is the connection to Michigan. And um, when you think back on that case in Michigan with the governor and the threats to her, right. the threat was, by the way, storming of the Capitol in Michigan. That was the, the actual threat that the FBI and the intelligence, 80s, uh, intelligence agencies thwarted um, in Michigan. So Darren Beatty here makes this connection on, well, if, if they were able to figure that out, well, why don't you, here, here's what he said. Cut 31. Roll it,
5: Until this bombshell report came out, no one even thought to reference Michigan in relation to 1-6. But why is yeah. Michigan important? Here's why Michigan is important. Now, we could go through all the way back to the days of J. Edgar Hoover and show you case by case how this is absolutely how the government operates. Unfortunately, people don't understand how dark this government actually is, many elements of it. Going all the way back to J. Edgar Hoover, uh, a lot of Muslims in 9-11, First World Trade Center bombing, all of these cases involve very questionable activities on the part of undercover agents. But we don't need to go back that far. We only need to go back three months before the so-called storming of the Capitol to this so-called kidnapping plot, which also involved a plan to storm the Michigan State Capitol. So you had a plan to storm the Michigan State Capitol. You had one of the three main militia groups involved in Michigan as well, the three percenters the alleged mastermind of the Michigan storming the Capitol slash kidnapping plot. is a guy named Adam Fox, who the FBI says is a national leader of the three percenters. So it's the same militia group, a same plan to storm the state Capitol. And yet in the Michigan case, out of the 18 plotters, at least five are now known to be either informants or undercover operatives. Five out of 18. That's a remarkable percentage of infiltration. This happened just months before. And as a cherry on top, the field, uh, the head of the uh, Detroit field office of the FBI, who oversaw that infiltration operation of the Michigan State capital storming slash kidnapping plot, his name is Stephen D'Antuono, just days after they arrested these alleged Michigan plotters, Christopher Ray quietly and mysteriously promoted him to the top post in the D.C. field office, where he went on to oversee the investigation into One Six. Now that is incredibly suspicious fact pattern, as the, kind there's of no, sets the table. I,
1: I just want to make sure some we're not there's no conspiracy. But there's also no coincidences, right, sir? That's pretty. It's a hell of a coincidence coincidence. right there,
5: yeah. It's a hell of a coincidence. (laughs) Keep going, sir. Yes. So, look. I want to be very precise with this. I'm not even saying this Michigan fact pattern proves anything in relation to 1-6. But if one approaches the 1-6 question with an attitude that our government just doesn't do things like that, or in the words of Paul Ryan, that's just not who we are, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it absolutely is. And like I said, you don't need to go all the way back to J. Edgar Hoover. This was just months before a plot to storm the state capital of Michigan involving one of the three main militia groups associated with 1-6, where with the same FBI field agent who was promoted after this, after his infiltration operation. it's. Uh, it, it, I think just knowing that helps to really drive home the pressing plausibility of this most disturbing uh, question that we're raising is, What the hell happened in 1-6? Was there a similar infiltration operation? And when you look individually at the cases of these unindicted co-conspirators, there are huge red flags there that press this question even further.
0: Okay. Whoa. (laughs) So he says in the article, he says, as crazy as all that sounds, all of that is true. A full account of the Michigan plot and its parallels to the Capitol uh, siege runs outside the scope and purposes of this article. Nevertheless, it is useful to briefly flesh out some of the most salient details alluded to in that story that he just told. He says, the left-wing blog, I guess it's pronounced Jacobin, Jacobin, of all places, provided a good description of the allegation and charges. And this is from this left wing blog. They said since last week, the headlines have been lit up by a shocking story out of Michigan. The FBI, this is back when this happened, the FBI had foiled a plot hatched by anti lockdown protesters and right wing militia members to kidnap and try for treason Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who uh, one of the ringleaders called a tyrant. B-Word, B-I-T-C-H. According to a federal affidavit in court testimony, the plot involved surveilling Whitmer's vacation home in Western Michigan and the surrounding area, procuring explosives and tactical gear to fight off police, taking part in armed training exercises, and even possibly blowing up a nearby, nearby bridge. The alleged plotters discussed using a fake pizza delivery to kidnap Whitmer, leaving Whitmer on a boat in the middle of Lake Michigan, and even kidnapping Virginia Governor Ralph Northam as one of the tyrants who they believed were abusing their power to order statewide lockdowns in response to the coronavirus pandemic. So just thinking about this, if, if you infiltrate this group and you're able to get all this information in, out of Michigan, it's not unreasonable or crazy to think, Well, let's leave the guys in and see what else they're... I mean, what else are they up to? Right. Right? Yeah, that makes sense.
6: Complete sense. Because they're already in. They're already under. You don't want to pull them out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't believe the whole group just (laughs) dissipated after they arrested the ones involved in Michigan. There's got to be be more than just the the group of people they arrested in Michigan. So if you've got guys in, well, you're not going to pull them out at that point and think, okay, you're going to think, well, let's see what else they're planning or what else they're thinking about or what else they're doing, right? Well,
2: I have a question. What would what would these right wing militia groups think they can make any difference? Any of this could even happen. To me, I, I none of it makes any sense. I mean, it's not like it's not like the the um, Proud Boys have any. You know, to me, like the, it's so overblown. Their organization, the whole thing—I mean, they have a the president is a black guy. I mean, the whole thing, none of it really makes any real sense to me. What did they have in it? What good would it have done them to destroy Trump's legacy presidency at that point, right then and there? Like, what did they? What would they have gotten out of it? None of it makes any sense. The only one who had a lot to gain out of it was the Democrats and the Marxists. It doesn't make sense. It you're doesn't back, add you're,
0: up. You're back to, you're not in Michigan. You're back to January I'm 6th. I'm back to January
2: right. 6th. And and the same thing with Michigan too, though. None of it really makes a lot of sense. Like what good would have really, you know what I mean? Maybe the Michigan thing, but I don't know. A lot of it just, just doesn't add up to me. They have to have people in there with brains saying, this ain't going to help. This is
6: going to hurt. Who knows? Maybe the guys who are infiltrating are you know, kind of pushing, pushing them along. You know what I mean? Say, hey, we should try this. Hey, what about this? You guys ever think of this? I mean, we do it in other countries, don't we?
2: Yeah, we do.
0: The hour live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday. Glad you're in. So um, I have more news than just this revolver piece, as fascinating as I think it is. Um, and I think you should all read it for yourself and, and decide what you think, by the way. It's on our Twitter, uh, uh, at LFS6B. And it's, you can link to it and read it for yourself and put some time aside because it's long and in-depth. So. Um, but let's get to a couple other things here. We'll do some news and sports here as well. But let's cut 37G. So let me... Here's... This might encapsulate, really in two minutes, basically how the whole Putin-Biden thing went and what Putin thought going in. So here's when they first met sit-down with the press. Now, remember, we're told this guy's been on the world stage for 50 years. He's had a lifetime of preparation for it. He's, uh, you know, good old Joe, ready to go. Regular guy. Well, here's how it started. (laughs) I just watched the Russian president throughout this, and you pretty much can figure out what his mindset was going in. Roll that. I know that you've been on a long tour and that you have a lot of work. Still, the US and Russian relations
3: have a lot of issues accumulated that require the highest
5: level
7: of meeting.
3: And I hope that our meeting
8: will be productive. Well, thank you. As I said outside, I think it's always better to meet face to face. Try to determine where we have mutual interests and we can cooperate. И то, каким вопросам мы можем работать вместе.
1: А там, где у нас есть разногласия, это мы можем сделать всё для того, чтобы мы смогли рационально и предсказуемо обсудить эти вопросы. Две великие державы.
6: Look at this little <laughs> look at pieces.
2: i sit here with my legs open for my big manhood like he's shit like girly girl
0: <laughs> that doesn't look like someone who's too worried about um he was
2: looking at him no. like well, this- this sock puppet,
0: <laughs> Joe. song. I'm not really sure how this is going to work. Well, <laughs> Joe, the press gets settled usually, and then you you know you don't try to talk over them. But I don't know. So that, <laughs> that that's that's pretty much set the stage for the rest of it. Which that was the high point, in my estimation. Just so you know, that was the high point. Yeah, it got worse and worse. It got downhill from there. So, All right, let's do some news, Paul. What's going on?
2: Well, uh, Stephen Colbert's first live show. Back in the studio on Monday evening Didn't seem to go as smoothly for the late night host As he might have hoped This is a National Review's Article on John Stewart Former host of the Daily Show And nobody's idea of a conservative Republican Endorsed the COVID lab leak theory And mocked those who quickly Dismissed former President Donald Trump and Senator Cotton When they raised the possibility Colbert was taken aback by Stewart's Position facetiously asking him When he began working for Republican Senator uh, Ron Johnson. Snarky comment aside, though, Colbert uh, also speculated that it could be possible that they have a, a lab in Wuhan to study novel coronavirus diseases because in Wuhan there are a lot of no- novel coronavirus de- diseases because of the bat population there. And, um, you know, he made a couple of <laughs> snide jokes, but unfortunately, the, his hypothesis that the bats in the lab in question did not come from Wuhan, but instead they reside in caves outside the city of Nanning in South, Southern Asia, roughly a thousand miles away from where this, the coronavirus pandemic began. And in this uh, video, it was really interesting because, you know, we know uh, John Stewart is a pretty funny guy and he's not, you know, he was really right on the money with what he said about... This being a, a virus coming directly from this lab, and it's, it's hard to think of it not being that way. And uh, you could see Colbert was so uncomfortable. It was, it was really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and the, and the best thing about it is Facebook, shockingly, social media has uh, let it stay up. They didn't cancel him yet? No, it's that's wow. shocking. That's crazy. It's what about YouTube? He's not taking off of Twitter or Facebook, nothing? No, nothing. They, they've all decided that now it's, it's fine to say this stuff. Well, cause maybe because
6: they were joking around about said it. it. You know, yeah. because it was it was a big joke and, and, and they think, well, you know, if we joke about it it'll be more palatable to,
0: to the plebs out there to suck this down. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe. All uh, right, we'll do some more news here in a second. Let's do a little sports. Rick Emirati, what's going on, pal? All right,
1: D, let's get back then to the NBA playoffs. Game five. Right now, the Sixers up by 24 points. They lead the Hawks 58-34. Joel Embiid with 22 points. About two minutes to go in the hmm. uh, second
0: quarter. How do you, uh, do you feel comfortable in this game? No, <laughs> I, don't. You feel, you, did, I don't. You feel comfortable in
1: game four, up 18? <laughs> no, I don't feel comfortable at all. Okay. I'm, I'm already tweeting on Sixers Nation. Hey, hey Big D, D I have a
2: question okay. uh, after the Islanders. One game one. He goes, we're going to take this series. They're going to win this thing, no doubt about it. And I just sent them back, Ricky Bobby, don't put that voodoo on me. Here's what I'm going to say. Sixers are a lock. They can't lose. You got it in a bag.
1: Don't even think about it. Great, Paul. Yeah. Can't wait to get those, those season tickets in the UBS arena. That's going to be called the Dubs yeah. Arena. D-B-U-B-S. And, 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 and if they don't win,
6: Paul promises he's going to bring in a purple purple uh, jacket <laughs> just like you, and uh, he'll yeah. wear
1: it for a week. Yeah. All right, Paul. Uh, a couple of Major League Baseball scores. Big D. Uh, finals earlier today. Cincinnati Reds 2-1 to one over the Brewers. Reds have won their six straight, so they are red hot. Uh, Cardinals one nothing over the Mall. In Bush Stadium, White Sox eight seven over the Rays. Right now, live action: Blue Jays lead the Yankees two to one. Bottom of the sixth. Mets lead the Cubs three to one. Bottom fourth. And Astros four nothing over the Rangers. Bottom second. Tiger Woods returns to L A on crutches four months after horrific car crash. This is from Jenna Lemon Shelley of New York Post Sports. Tiger Woods is back in L A. Four months after the golf icon suffered severe lower right leg injuries in a single car crash in California, he returned to the West Coast on Monday. New photos show Woods accompanied by girlfriend Erica Herman making his way into an L.A. airport on crutches. He sported a black surgical compression sleeve on his right leg on which he underwent multiple surgeries in February for open fractures to both the tibia and fibula bone as a result of the crash. So Tiger Woods getting out and about. They're not sure why he was in L.A. Could be just that he has certain business to take care of uh, because he was in his uh, Jupiter Island home in Florida recuperating rating for the last three months. And boxer Sugar Ray Leonard is seeking $46.5 million for his LA mansion. Uh, this is from Lisa Chamoff, contributor of Forbes Global Properties. Uh, he has a 16,700 square foot home on the market. I think LeBron James may be looking at it. <laughs> and uh, this is a gated uh, 1.7 acre property, beautiful Palisades, California. Uh, Leonard, 65 an Olympic gold medalist and world champion boxer uh, competed in five different weight classes. I guess, you know, he's at the point now where he says the market's good. It's time to sell. So that's uh, our good friend Sugar Ray Leonard. And um, uh, let's see. We have Jim Phelan, who coached Mount St. Mary's basketball for 49 years, passed away today at 92. The legendary coach. This is from Emmitsburg, uh, Maryland. He passed away in his sleep. um, And he was, uh, again, an all-time legend at Mount St. Mary's. And, uh, you know, he'll certainly be missed. He won a national championship in 1965. Two and took the team to five trips and for a small school that's quite an accomplishment uh, and that's a wrap in sports big d back to you
0: all right thanks rick we'll do some more news um so I, a couple other things to get to here so matt i have um paul gosar uh congressman from arizona questioned the fbi director and um well, just as another part of this whole January sixth story, I'm going to show you it, and you'll make your determination. But um, it does seem the FBI director was was not in the not in the mood to um, to really talk about this. He didn't seem to know a lot, was unwilling to share a lot, and uh, Representative Gosar pushed him pretty hard to get down to releasing some footage. Who killed Ashley Babbitt? And the FBI, to be the director of the FBI, you would think all of this stuff. Well, you would just think you know a lot of this stuff. How does he not know who killed Ashley Babbitt? Well, he's got to know, doesn't he? (laughs) He says he doesn't. (laughs) Of course, he knows. You'll see it. He says he he doesn't know. How's how is that (laughs) possible? Live from Studio 6 B, Hour 2 on a Wednesday night, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Glad you're in Real America's Voice. Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus, Channel 1029. Fran, you said you watched um, Samsung TV. You have a Samsung, I guess, so you you get it on your phone. You said it looks good. Yeah, it showed up on my phone without me doing anything, and then all of a sudden I could look at the show. So it looked nice. All All right, G, did you check it on your Samsung? (laughs)
2: he tries to avoid it at all costs
0: (laughs) Fran called Samsung and said can we get this off my phone please (laughs) Um, Paul's here with news Rick Delgado's here Rick Amorati's going to have more sports GeoFriend as always holding it down Uh, we've been talking about this revolver piece on indicted co-conspirators in the January 6th Uh, case raised disturbing questions of federal foreknowledge and if there was any and the director of the fbi i'm going to show you here after paul does a little news was questioned today by uh, i think it was actually today or yesterday by paul gosar who actually references this article in the testimony um I'll show you that here in a second, but let's do a little news with Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan?
2: Well, President Donald Trump is slated to hold a rally in Ohio later this month to promote a candidate he endorsed for a seat in Congress. Um, This is from uh, his uh, press release. This Save America rally marks President Trump's first of many appearances in support of candidates and causes that further the MAGA agenda and accomplishments of President Trump's administration. The rally is to support Max Miller, who President Trump has endorsed for election in Ohio's 16th Congressional District. Max Miller is a wonderful person who did a great job at the White House and will be a fantastic congressman. Uh, Trump said in the statement, and uh, Miller, uh, I'm sorry, he's a Marine veteran, son, uh, son of Ohio and a true patriot. Um, current Rep. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez should not be representing the people of the 16th District because he does not represent their interest or their heart. Max Miller has my complete and total endorsement. Uh, good stuff there
0: yeah the pre- the former president's going to be a little more a little more out there in the public eye i think coming up going to hold some rallies um i think he's going on out with bill riley bill o'reilly to do some sit down kind of town hall question and answers in front of an audience so he's going to be more a little more in the public eye coming up i think it'll be good what else paul
2: well, I got an, I got a happy story here. Pregnant mom, this is from the Epic Times. I, I, we got a lot of good feedback from the happy story. So I'm going to try to put some positive news out there uh, each night. So uh, pregnant mom feels baby's kick when doctor suggests abortion. Now that baby is six and thriving. One of the tiniest babies ever delivered by her doctor, micro preemie uh, Naomi Baker, faced an uphill battle for survival from the first many medical professionals feared she had no hope when abortion was tabbed as an alternative naomi's parents said no when it seemed prayer was their only hope they prayed now at almost six years old not only has naomi survived but she's thriving like any other kid her age and no less feisty the 22-week uh a pregnancy scan revealed the parents, Angela and Michael Baker of Reno, Nevada, that their unborn child was suffering from um, growth restrictions. And as the friends advised them to travel to San Francisco for a second opinion, they told us pretty much the same thing we heard in Reno. They estimated her to be about 350 grams, and they said you they, they needed to be 500 grams in order to survive. It was determined that Angela had be the beginnings of um, preeclampsia, a high blood pressure-related pregnancy complication. And although she didn't recall the doctors using the word abortion, it was implied. So uh, this is a nice, happy story that this beautiful little girl is thriving and smiling and running around doing cartwheels and, and, and kickstands and all this good stuff. So it makes me very happy to report on that.
0: Okay, very good. Um, all right, so let's listen to Representative Paul Gosar in a continuation of this story on January 6th the fbi director was in front well was actually in his office i guess they did this by teleconference and this is representative gosar's questioning and um well obviously he either read this article in revolver i'm sure he did uh, well just listen for yourself and just and see if you think the fbi director seems as forthcoming as maybe you would think he would have been roll that g
9: Director Ray, I would like to start by again asking for all the surveillance footage from January 6th and the preceding days to be released to the public. I am told there are thousands of hours of footage. Now, Director Ray, yes or no, would you agree that the public has a right to know the truth and that the information and footage should be made public?
4: Information we produce has to be done in, in coordination with the <laughs> well, prosecutor's Yes or no? Democratic I mean, court. well, I don't. Is... Sir, respectfully, I don't think it is a yes or no question. Well, okay. We have to so be very careful me, to protect me, the integrity me, of the ongoing cases.
9: Well, and there are I, I very Let me recapture my time are. here, Democratic members you just heard of Congress have made some outlandish allegations about reconnaissance tours and even filed ethics complaints against members, including me which was recently thrown out. Mr. Ray, would you agree, yes or no, that the video footage is often the best evidence documenting an event?
4: Video footage is often very useful information to document an event.
9: Thank you. Director Ray. do you believe that security footage of a public building of public officials paid for by public taxpayers, potentially containing exculpatory evidence, should be provided to public defenders?
4: Well, I think what information is provided to public defenders in <laughs> criminal cases should be done under the rules of discovery, uh, which are spelled out and are more complicated than I could cover in the time that okay. we have here.
9: Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Director, <right> now, switching <laughs> points. Can you confirm that no one inside the Capitol on January 6th was arrested for carrying or using a firearm?
4: sir my understanding is that there has been at least one individual who was arrested for having a firearm inside the capitol um there are i think a small number of other cases local cases uh, by get, that i mean can, uh, provide, can
9: you provide that information for us in written testimony please
4: I, i'm happy to have my staff follow up with yours thank to you i appreciate that
9: director Ray. can you confirm that nobody arrested for the involvement in the january 6th riot has been charged with the crime of insurrection
4: uh, sir, as I as I think I said in response to one of your colleagues, uh, sitting here right now, I don't believe there have been insurrection charges in any of the indictments so I, far. But i again, with five hundred cases, I, I believe you be sure that I, I, I believe you're right. right. Yeah, yeah,
9: I agree. So now switching <laughs> gears again, Director Ray, do you know who executed Ashley Babbitt?
4: I, no, I don't know the name of the person okay. who so do you agree that Ashley Babbitt, Babbitt
9: was unarmed?
4: I, no, I really can't weigh in on the facts and circumstances of that case. As you may know, that was investigated by the uh, D.C. Metro's Internal Affairs Department with the DOJ Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office. And the FBI well, was not it's, it's, it's the dis- investigative
9: agents. Yeah, it's a disturbing. The Capitol Police officer that did the shooting actually bat- appeared, appeared to be hiding, lying in wait, and then gave no warning before killing her. Question again: Why hasn't that officer that executed Ashley Babbitt been named? When police officers around the country are routinely identified after a shooting?
4: Comment on that case. It's not one that we've been directly involved in, so I really can't agree or disagree with your characterization. Sounds
9: good. Do you approve of lethal force <laughs> against unarmed citizens, particularly a 110-pound woman with no warning, no use of no uh, no use of non-lethal force prior, and while laying in wait?
0: And a veteran?
4: not I going to be, try to answer a hypothetical, especially one based on a case that I just that said. That actually wasn't really a hypothetical,
9: that's actually what had happened. Changing gears again. Director A, the FBI released several 30-second video clips of suspected pipe bomber seeking the public's help to identify him. Two of the video clips begin and end with the suspect already in the middle of the frame. You know how long the suspect pipe bomber was there and which way he exited, but you have withheld that information from the public. The FBI is in possession of the full tapes of the pipe bomb suspect and knows far more than the public about potential identifying details. You have begged the public's help in identifying this pipe bomb suspect. You even offered a $100,000 reward. Why have you not released the full tapes if you're truly intent to leverage the public's help? Will you commit to releasing the full tapes to the public immediately?
4: Uh, no, sir, I can't make that commitment. I'm very careful about making sure that we protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation. And when we share information with the public while asking for their help, it has to be done very thoughtfully with regard to both the solicitation for assistance as well as, again, the protection of the integrity of the ongoing investigation.
9: Well, I appreciate it. Well, in conclusion, I again urge the capital surveillance footage and the truth to be released in order to exonerate the innocent and to provide justice and accountability for those who violated it. I would like to ask for unanimous consent to enter into the record, a report from Revolver News regarding infiltration and incitement of the January 6th protest by federal officials.
3: Without objection.
9: I thank the chairwoman, and with that, I yield back.
0: Yeah. So, pretty good line of questioning, and again, very, um, I mean, I know he's the FBI director, and you know, we cannot probably understand the world he lives in, but not, not very forthcoming. On any of that it seems to me no
6: a lot of political speak you know oh well you know can't identify
0: and and it's all garbage you know,
6: you know he's lying it's it's part of his job he has to because he can't tell you certain things and we get that part of it but the fact that you know you, you can't even name the officer which which if you do a quick you know internet search there uh, mr ray the name is out there you can find it it's very easy i just did there are pictures of the guy, different pictures with the same bracelet. Um, it's out there. So the fact that he's sitting here six months later saying, well, we don't know who that is, is garbage. Along with, along with the, the bomber thing, which I was going to bring up last hour, but I didn't, we didn't have time to. Is that, again, with all this footage that they have and all the cameras that they have around that place... They can follow this guy, see where he first comes into view, follow him, trace him along by camera to camera, follow him back. We saw them do this with the uh, Boston bomber at the at the marathon where they followed. They followed the track of, here he is. We picked him up on this camera. We picked him up over here that there's two went this way. They can do the same thing with this guy. They will not do it because they can't tell you who it was.
0: Chances are that person is protected. It is pretty amazing to listen to the discussion around the federal buildings here in D.C., as opposed to the way the federal buildings in Portland were treated when they were being attacked 59 nights in a row, where Nancy Pelosi called uh, federal investigators stormtroopers, James Clyburn called them stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. They let the building basically get um, assaulted every single night, a federal courthouse in Portland. They they really didn't give didn't give a damn about what was going on in Portland. They had no uh, no need to try to protect the
2: well, the police station in Minnesota.
0: Well, because
6: according to Merrick Garland, that stuff happened at night, Damon, and there's a difference when it happens during the day and at nighttime. I don't know. I don't know if you realize that when it comes to law enforcement.
0: Yeah, boy, the cloak the cloak is really pulled back on him, by the way, huh? From from the um, from the possible supreme court nomination to now a radical um attorney general i mean whew. some of the things that's coming from 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 him are i mean the really the the, the curtain is fully pulled back on, on him all right live from studio 6b i'll read you the um letter that's congressman matt gates sent to director ray probably after watching that testimony we're back right after this you All right, seventeen past the hour. Live from Studio Six B on a Wednesday night. So, um, Matt Gates sent, an, uh, sent a, a letter to the Honorable Chris Ray, Director Ray. As the events of January 6 come to clearer relief, many questions remain unanswered. On June 8, 2021, the Senate Homeland Security Committee and the Senate Rules Committee jointly produced a 95-page report finding problems ranging from, quote, federal intelligence agencies failing to warn of a potential for violence to a lack of planning and preparation by U.S. Capitol Police and law enforcement leadership, unquote. I am seeking your answers to clarify the following questions. Number one, in the year leading up to the offense on one six. And during 1-6 itself, to what extent were the three primary militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and the Three Percenters, infiltrated by agencies of the federal government, including the FBI, or informants of said agencies? Number two, exactly how many federal undercover agents or confidential informants were present at the Capitol? So he just basically went into the Revolver article, copied all three questions, (laughs) and pasted them in his letter and formally sent it to him. I expect an answer from your office by August 1st, 2021. Thank you. Sincerely, Matt Gates, member of Congress. August 1st? I can wait 1st. all
6: summer. That's, that's something where it's like, you know what? Here's a letter. Um, I don't know. Can you hit me up by tomorrow?
0: Well, that's, that's not how. You mistake? That's, that's not how it works. So be yeah. like, uh, August right. 1st would be quick. And by the way, it won't be August 1st. It won't no. be September 1st. It won't no, be October let. 1st. It'll be never first.
6: You know what he should have included? How many people are infiltrated into BLM and
0: Antifa as well? Those would be good questions. Yeah, maybe. Um, all right, let's do a little news and we'll do some sports. Paul Nolan, what's going on, Paul?
2: Well, speaking of Matt Gates, he was on uh, John Solomon's podcast today, and he said that reporters from Mother Jones and Daily Beast have contacted and allegedly threatened people who know or have met him in the past um, He said uh, time and time again What a reporter will do is contact someone That maybe I've had a relationship with Maybe I haven't had a relationship with Maybe I've only been in the same room with them At one time, but they'll say to the person You know Look, we're writing a, your name into a story That will have sex trafficking and Matt Gates In the headline, and unless you provide us Some bad information, some embarrassing Conduct about Gates, And if you do that well, then we'll, your name will be protected. Your reputation will be protected. Also, I have seen in writing that actually play out where a reporter from the Daily Beast wrote some uh, someone that said, you know, I know you were at a political function with Matt Gates in Florida. And if you, you know, have something to say about him, we'll take your name out of it. Otherwise, we'll smear you. He said he went on to say uh, it really strikes me the extent to which there is now no line between advocacy and journalism. You know, when we, we wanted to believe that there was some sort of uh, opinion journalism. Then there was fact based journalism. So he went on and uh, talked about hey, he is fully under attack by the detached liberal media.
0: Uh, very quickly, G34, speaking of media and what's going on and, and it's and it's not just CNN and it's not just MSNBC and it's not just the Washington Post. We referenced this the other night when it happened and here's a little teaser of what Project Veritas put together with Ivory Hecker. Roll that.
7: Fox came at my throat for standing up against censorship.
1: In my opinion, you failed as a reporter.
7: From the inside, yes, there's a narrative. Yes, it is unspoken, but if you accidentally step outside the narrative, if you don't sense what that narrative is Mm -hmm. and go with it, there will be grave consequences for you.
3: It's not just about the viewers, it's about what our CEO reads. It's about what our GM reads.
1: My question is very simple, why are you doing this?
7: It affects the viewers, that's why I'm doing this. The viewers are being deceived by a carefully crafted narrative in some stories. I have passed on Bitcoin stories. African American audience of five it's probably not going to play. That's a choice I'm making, an editorial no, choice. That
4: seems sort of a racially charged statement to make.
7: I want out of this narrative news telling. I want out of, of this corruption.
9: Are you afraid of
0: doing this?
7: I haven't had a lot of fear about it. I'm, I'm so horrified at what the news business has, has stooped to.
0: Yeah, that's just 60 seconds of it, but there's about 20 minutes of it, and it's on YouTube, and it's on Project Veritas, and you can go watch it. It's pretty unbelievable, some of what she captured being told by these Fox executives. Yeah. So it's Amazing. going on everywhere. It's going on everywhere. So, All right, let's do a little sports here with Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? A
1: big D. Well, five Major League Baseball games in action right now. Yankees lead the Blue Jays 3-2 in the top of the eighth. Uh, Mets over the Cubs 6-1, bottom sixth. Indians lead the Orioles 8-5, bottom sixth. Braves trail the Red Sox 6-3, bottom fifth, and the Astros are leading the Rangers 5-1 at the end of four. Switching over to the NBA playoffs, right now the Sixers at halftime lead the Atlanta Hawks 62-40. to Joel Embiid with 24 points and 10 rebounds, wow. and Trey Young has 14 points for Atlanta. Joel Embiid, I think they wake the sleeping giant. There was some comment about him maybe slacking a little bit there at the end of that game, which is tough with a guy dealing with a partially torn meniscus, but they came on strong, and uh, we'll Keep an eye on that game, though, because I'm never comfortable. Maybe in the fourth quarter up by 22, I might start whistling, but not right now. (laughs) Uh, And just underway at the T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, Golden Knights and Canadians, Game 2 with the Knights up one zip in the series. It's nothing, nothing. Like I said, it's about four minutes in, so no update there. Uh, And I have a story real quick. Really sad. Adults fight at Eastern Kentucky T-Ball game. Charges are possible. This is from Jeremy Chisenhall of the Lexington Herald-Leader. Things got ugly at a T-ball championship game in Eastern Kentucky Monday when parents and coaches (laughs) got into a fight and now involved could face criminal charges. Video of the incident shared on Facebook shows more than a dozen adults on the baseball field, some of who were shouting obscenities at each other. It is really sad these kids that played hard all season and put their hearts on that field didn't get to finish their championship game because adults wanted to act like this. Uh, This is from Destani Renee Knox, uh, who wrote in a Facebook post. (laughs) Stanton police called the incident a dispute between adults and said investigation we're working on understanding the events that led to this incident. Stanton Police Sergeant Ian Morton (laughs) told the Herald-Leader Tuesday that police are still speaking to witnesses and taking statements. It is possible that people involved in the altercation could be prosecuted. And I just wanted to bring this to light. How ridiculous can parents be with sports? We've talked about this on the show before, and, I mean, living vicariously, but getting out there, I couldn't even do the video because they were cursing and screaming and fisticuffs. T-ball. I I I think it's
2: there four or
0: five. Yeah.
6: I, I, I think uh, this is another question for Christopher Ray. See if anybody was uh
1: infiltrated in the parent. I was just gonna group. say I
0: wonder if the FBI infiltrated <laughs> the old T ball stadium right. there. A- and let it happen. Yes, mm. exactly. And uh, that's a rapid sports, <laughs> big data for this segment. Well, you know, we've talked about these parents. Yep. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. I mean well, I've me seen so. it firsthand at fourteen year old basketball. Fourteen forget T ball. I mean that's that's just unspeakable. I mean even at fourteen, fourteen year old basketball. Now it's pretty high level basketball, traveled, premier basketball, but still they're fourteen years old. I've I've seen
2: it at town girls softball, and I, I'm, I kid you not. I mean this is where I coach. I mean I coach uh, girls softball and boys lacrosse for a long time, and I don't miss the parents one bit. I cannot believe some of the behavior I've seen amongst parents of 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids. I mean, and this is just town equitable where everybody gets to play. It's not like travel blood and guts where the reality is your kid's on the bench because he's not helping the team win. You know, uh, it, this is like everyone plays and people go crazy. It's just yeah. it's just crazy. It's insanity. It is.
0: No question. I I've saw I saw two mothers Threatened each other; that they were going to see each other in the parking lot <laughs> at a 14-year-old basketball Can't game. And then I saw because one of our kids was just eating the other team up. The mother put her foot out on the court no. and tripped them serious? going up the court, I, oh. and almost got into a fight. And, and And the kid's dad was able to keep his composure. The kid was okay; didn't get hurt, but still, oh I, it's just God. it's insane.
2: Was she wearing
0: like these helicopter parents who live through their kids? Who never played sports on any level and now have to live through their kids, and it's just out of control.
2: Yeah, we call them first jockers. The first jock strap they ever bought was for their kid.
0: That's another way to think about it. <laughs> really thought about it that way.
6: <laughs> first jockers. Okay, good. There you go. Get it.
0: All right, thirty minutes past the hour. Live from Studio Six B. Bunch of stuff to get who get to here with Biden and um, everything that happened with him and Putin today. But let's just start out with a grand, the grand macro look at it. Joe Biden dazzles on the world stage. Roll it, G. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
8: Oh, good. He's wearing. Very long shades. day for y'all. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I just finished the, uh, the last meeting of this week's long trip, uh, and I know there were a lot of hype around this meeting. We're uniquely a product of an idea. You've heard me <laughs> say this before again and again. Why? I'm going to keep saying it. Why? What's that idea? The idea is we hold these true self-evident. <laughs> all goes all again. men and women. We haven't lived up to completely, we've always widened the arc. It's a crutch. you asked me many times, what was I (laughs) going to discuss with Putin before I came? I told you I only negotiate with the individual, and now I can tell you what I was intending to do all along. How to build it and and, and how it is in the interest of both Russia and the United States. We agreed to work together there because as much as Russia's interest is ours. I caught part of President uh, uh, Putin's press uh, <laughs> uh, conference. I did what I came to do. And I must tell you, the tone of the entire meeting, I guess it was a total of four hours, was was, 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 was good. We rallied our fellow democracies to make concert commi- concerted commitments. This is, oh I listened to, uh, again, head. a significant portion nice. of what President Putin's press conference was. We'll find out within the next six months to a year whether or not we actually have a strategic dialogue that matters. We'll find out whether we work to deal with everything from release of of people in in, uh, uh, Russian prisons or not. How would it be if the United States were viewed by the rest of the world as interfering with the elections directly of other countries? And everybody knew it. I'll take your questions. And as usual, folks, they gave me a list of the people I'm going to call on. Wow, awesome. So uh, he knows I will take action like we did when this last time out. One of the consequences that I know I don't know, I shouldn't say this unfair. I pointed out to him that it matters a great deal when a country, in fact, and they asked me why I thought there was important to to continue to have problems with I said because it's a violation international norm I, I mean I, look guys I know we make foreign policy out to be this great great skill that somehow is sort of like a, a secret code all foreign policies is a logical extension of personal relationships that's not a satisfying answer Biden said he'd invade Russia you know it's not, you know by the way, that was a joke. If there was anything that you <coughs> emerged from he in the left. discussion that made you don't me think <laughs> yeah. that he. Did... I'm take my coat off. <laughs>
0: oh, here we go. If oh, in oh, fact, bah, they bah,
8: violate bah. these basic norms. We will respond. Cyber. He knows. In the cyber way. Cyber way. You're in a situation <laughs> where your economy is struggling. You need to move it in a more. Uh, 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 aggressive way and then in terms of growing it and uh you uh i don't think he's looking for a cold war with the united states i said your generation of mine are about 10 years apart this is not a kumbaya moment as he used to say back in the 60s in the united states like let's hug and love each other as we got <laughs> through when we brought in the larger group our our defense our intelligence and our foreign well our, my foreign minister was foreign minister. My sure secretary of state was with me the whole time, and uh, and so it was. Uh, it was kind of after two hours there, we looked at each other like, "Okay, what next?" No, 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 no. There, there were no threats. There were, as a matter of fact, uh, um, I heard he quoted my mom and quoted other people today. There was. It was very, uh, as we say, which will shock you, coming from me. Somewhat colloquial. Quoted his mom? <laughs> Joe, um, you're colloquial. an idiot. Uh, You'll Like anything. you can see them, kind of go. Oh, we do that, but like, whoa.
2: When President Putin said he was satisfied with the answer. You, he, about your comment about him being a killer. Uh, could you give us your side on this? What did you tell him?
8: He's satisfied. Why would I bring it up again? I you everything. want to go in the shade? Wow. You can't. Can you see? This is not about trust. It's about trust. <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh. oh, man. That is just uh, Most painful. votes ever.
0: Most votes ever. He quoted my mom. Joey, you're an idiot. Most votes ever. That, uh, that's an all-timer. Gee, that's an all-timer. Bravo. An all timer All-timer. <laughs> that is an all-timer. Yeah, Alzheimer's. I agree. <laughs> Could yeah, be some timers. of that too. But um, well, and by the way, wow. as I said, it, it all it, it went downhill from there. No. Oh yes, no, no, it no. did.
2: It couldn't have got worse than Come that. Come on, um, that was rock
0: bottom. Please. Okay. <laughs> Here it on. is. Roll it. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President?
8: Yeah, I'm not confident he behavior. What the hell? What do you do all the time? When did i say i was confident you i said, said the next six months, i said what i said was let's get it straight i said what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world i'm not confident of anything just
2: stating the fact. <laughs> but given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference, after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks, he
8: downplayed human rights abuses, he even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. So, how does that account to a constructive meeting as President, President Putin? If, if you don't understand that you're in your own business. You it's a summit with China, hand, I'm I'm what a
0: buffoon. Yeah. What? So, that's Caitlin Collins from CNN who uh, yelled out that question to him it's a legitimate question as as he's leaving and he turns around and says who the hell what, what does he say g to her who the hell are you or what the hell do you do all day
5: yeah um he, something like that it was maybe less
0: intense but uh, something along those lines can you play it again now do you hear the opening insult do you mind is it a, go ahead g play play that one more time what he says as she yells it to him
8: why are you so confident he'll change his behavior mr president yeah, i'm not confident change his behavior. what the hell what do you do all the time so I said was
0: what do you do all the time
2: god forbid yeah, you, do you, do you, do do right? you question me your lord
0: now do we have him at the uh, arriving at the plane g okay oh, so get here worse. so after that oh. he goes uh, to air force one to depart geneva to come home and the press is there on the tarmac right before he's supposed, about to hopefully not fall up the steps which i don't think he did which is good uh, he walks over to the press gaggle there, and this is what he says. all that.
8: What concrete evidence do you have from no, the three, three plus this hours that, that suggests that any movement has been made? And I don't know. I don't. I don't mean that. No, to no, be no, a, no. no, not, no I know. A, but you, you're, you're all. Look, to be a good reporter, you got to be negative. You got to have a negative view of life. Okay? It seems to me the way you all. You never ask a positive question. Why, in fact? having agreement. We'll find out. We have an agreement to work on a major arms control agreement. I started working on arms control agreements back all the way during the Cold War. If we could do one in the Cold War, why couldn't we do one now? We'll see. We will see whether or not it happens. But what do you, I mean, the thing that always amazed me about the questions, and I apologize for having been short on this before. If you were in my position, would you say, well, I don't think, man, anything's going to happen. It's going to be really rough. I think it's going to really be bad. You guarantee nothing happens. You guarantee nothing
0: happens. Okay, so just, you can, you can stop it. you. He's w- insane. W- when he walked over, before he stood there, and he, he walked over and he said, I need to apologize to my last questionnaire. And he asked who it was, and they told him who it was. And he said, I need to apologize. I shouldn't have been so short and such a wise guy. So he played the wise guy card again, that he was being a wise guy. Right. And, and there's the press, and they're all just smiling. And the idea, and so then he goes on to say that, what we saw in the clip, which is just as asinine because for him to say, I mean, there they are all smiling and drooling over him. And for him to say, you know, you always ask that. They're asking what kind of ice cream he got, how many scoops he got all, every day that he's out and about. Well, what is he talking about? This guy gets softballs all day long if he gets questions. All day, every day. So he, so he came over and tried to apologize to Caitlin Collins, which she wasn't there, I don't think, because he asked who it was, and he said, oh, I have to apologize to my last questionnaire. I shouldn't have been such a wise guy. And then none of them said anything, impressed him like, well, you know, hey, if, uh, if this was the former president, we would have been writing 900 stories for the next four days about it. So CNN actually brought it up. Uh, Jeff Zelny was on cut 32 G. He was on with Wolf Blitzer after this happened. And here's what here's what they thought of it. Roll it. You, you, you've spent a lot of time uh, covering this president. Uh, uh, also, when he was vice president, also when he was a senator, what do you think? Right.
6: That was classic Joe Biden in both respects, snapping at Caitlin for asking a perfectly legitimate question. Okay, stop we for a saw
0: that- that's classic Joe Biden in both sense. What about, like, defending your reporters? What, this, if this, you think it would have been, oh, that's just classic Trump, you know, Wolf, art of the deal. You, do you think it would have been that? That's classic Biden? Yeah, that he's a rude, obnoxious a-hole, that's classic Biden. Other than that, go ahead. That, uh, occasionally during the campaign, I've seen it on Capitol Hill, and
6: staffers who have worked for uh, Joe Biden for a long time have seen a flash of temper, but he also realized uh, that it was inappropriate, perhaps could be viewed as sexist. So he clearly wanted to clean this up and sort of lighten the, the mood and take that off the table before yeah, getting okay. on a plane as you know, all of the really images and the narrative from this summit is set. He wanted to take that off the table. But we have seen uh, President Biden do that frequently. What we've not seen him do is answer questions uh, like that without his aides screaming at him to stop. I've never <laughs> seen a president covering the last four of them who is so protected by his aides in terms of uh often not
0: wanting him to answer some questions yeah so so a little uh, honesty there from Jeff selney that that's amazing that la- that last last uh sentence that he had there yeah and the fact that he says again we didn't have it but he walks over and does this whole game and then he tells the reporters they're they're the smartest you know people he, Joe Biden Joe says you're all the smartest group I've ever known so hes like he said, he's trying to take it off the table, what could have been what which was considered rude and sexist, and of course, the press will let him take it off the table, which is the point.
6: Yeah, and like you mentioned, you know, even CNN came to his defense and not the reporter's defense. I saw lots of coverage of people going, "Oh, well she was out of line, this and that, she misquoted him. How dare she? It's like misquoted him." She paraphrased what he said. If he doesn't understand how he can be paraphrased and asked to be answered, you know, asked a question in that sense, then he's a moron. Simple as that. And if these reporters don't understand that either, they're morons either. Oh, no, that's right. It's all by design. They're trying to protect him.
0: By the way, it just happened to be Caitlyn Collins. It could have been it could have been a guy, too. So the whole sexist thing, I'm not. But the point is, if this was the last if this was President Trump, it absolutely would have been sexist it would have been this it would have been that and they would have written about it all day all day tomorrow and he wouldn't have had the opportunity to come over and apologize and say you know i shouldn't have been so short and i should have been such a wise guy he would have gotten hammered right for a week but joe biden comes over and says oh you know you're all the smartest group of people i know and i shouldn't have been a wise guy and that's good enough <laughs> 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B. Hey, I want to let you know, Monday, right here, Real America's Voice, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m., the water cooler with David Brody, President Donald Trump. In an exclusive interview, on with David Brody, 3 to 4 p.m. Of course, David has uh, interviewed the president before, uh, and he does a fantastic job. He interviewed him, I think, last time was actually at the White House, um, and it was fantastic, and he's going to do it again Monday, 3 to 4 President Donald Trump on with uh, David Brody on the Water Cooler three o'clock Eastern Time this coming Monday um, on Real America's Voice. So make sure you tune into that. Uh, let's do some sports and here with that is Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? All right, big will.
1: NHL West
0: uh, Conference semifinals.
1: Right now, the uh, Canadians have jumped out to a 2-0 lead late in the first period. Joel Armia and Tyler Toffoli scored the goal. So, Montreal up 2-0, looking to even that series at one. But they still got a ways to go. And we also have uh, Major League Baseball action right now. Mets lead the Cubs 6-1 at the top of the eighth. Indians over the Orioles, 8-7, top fifth. Yankees lead the Blue Jays 3-2, top ninth, try- trying to close that game out. Red Sox and Braves Tied at six, bottom six, and in the top of the uh, seventh, it's uh, Astros leading the Rangers five to one. NBA action right now, third quarter just wrapping up. Down in Philly, Sixers are up 87-69, so looking pretty good for the Sixers right there. Joel Embiid with 31 points and 11 rebounds. Seth Curry seven of, uh, of 11 from downtown with 25 points, right behind Embiid, and Trey Young for Atlanta scored 24. Uh, and sticking with the NBA, Chris Paul tested positive for COVID-19. This is from Aaron Walsh of Yardbarker. It was reported earlier today that Phoenix star Chris Paul was placed in the NBA's health and safety protocol. At the time, it was unknown whether or not he tested positive for coronavirus. Later in the day, John Gombardo of Arizona Sports 98.7 FM reported that Paul did test positive for COVID-19. The 36-year-old received the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine in February, per per Gombardo. Paul will be sidelined indefinitely, and his status for the Western Conference Finals is unclear, according to the Athletics' Shams Charania: The isolation period for a vaccinated individual could be shorter than an unvaccinated individual, according to NBA protocol. So that's an interesting uh, point there, because, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns right now look like the odds-on favorites to maybe take this take this whole thing. They look very strong, depending on what comes out of Utah and L.A. with the Clippers. Uh, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. But I'd like to find out a little bit more about it vaccinated individual versus unvaccinated individual as far as coming out of a protocol in the NBA. I got to look that one up, Big D. That got me going. Um, And I did get an update on the Danish soccer uh, star from Denmark, uh, the gentleman who had cardiac arrest, uh, I believe that was over the weekend, uh, Christian Eriksson. He did have a post yesterday on his Instagram paging uh, with a thumb up saying hello, uh, and he's feeling fine. Uh, Right now, again, he's still in the hospital under observation, but uh, thankfully he is very alert, and uh, you know, plenty of well wishes reaching out to him. So that's the update on him, and I will continue to report on that. Hopefully, you know, he'll be able to uh, get better, and who knows what will happen. Hopefully, he'll be able to make a comeback.
0: Yeah, thank God for that. And again, like, oh. you can't say enough about the doctors, the team doctor, the captain of the team, what they did on that field. It's just, uh, you know, it's 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 someone's going to make a movie or write a book or do something because it's one of those moments that you, I mean, it's just you can't say enough about it. Just tremendous. Absolutely. Anything else in sports? Now, that's a wrap for Big D for this. Anything else in news, Paul Just a
2: quickie here. Michigan Senate approves voter ID requirements along party lines. Governor Whitner is expected to veto. One bill will require in-person voters without identification to cast provisional ballots and then verify their identity up to six days after voting. Um, The outlet reported that the state law presently provides that people who lack photo identification during in-person voting may still... Vote provided they sign an affidavit of their designate, at their designated polling place. A piece of legislation passed by State Senate would ban this practice and require voters without identification to cast provisional ballot and then verify their identity. So um, I just... Uh,
0: speaking of voting, some changes yeah. and speaking of H.R. 1, we don't have time to get to it now, but uh, did you guys hear about Senator Joe Manchin's leaked phone call that he oh. had? Joe Manchin had, you know, he's been telling us how the filibuster is an absolute no starter, non-starter for him and this, that, and the other thing. Well, there's, um, well, let's just, I just want you to hear this. Cut 50. I'm going to get to it instead of doing the other things. We'll save that for tomorrow. This is Joe Manchin on a phone call with billionaire donors. And he's talking about HR1, the, for the People's Act. And he's talking about the fact that he's trying to um, get this commission for January 6th to be looked at, but there's no Republicans who are willing to support it. And here's Joe, Biden, uh, Joe Manchin's idea of maybe, to his billionaire donors, how we can get that. Cut 50, G. Roll that.
10: Right now, what I'm asking for, I need to go back. I need to find three more Republican, good Republican senators that'll vote for the... Uh, commission so that at least we can tamp them down to what people said. Republicans won't even do the simple if, common sense of basically voting to do a commission that was truly bipartisan. Uh, You know, so once that people, and it really, it it, it just really uh, uh, emboldens the uh, far left saying, I showed you, you know, uh, how's that bipartisan working for you now, Joe? Uh, Those are the hard things. That's where I need help, Dan. Dan, here's the thing.
0: Let me just tell you. Okay. Okay, Hold up a second. second. Dan is one of the billionaire donors. So here's, this is Joe Manchin telling Dan how he could use his money. Go ahead.
10: Roy Blunt is a great, just a good friend of mine, a great guy. Okay. You would like to think that Roy's retiring. If some of you all who might be working with Roy in his next life could tell him that it'd be nice and help our country, that would be very good to get him to change his vote. And we're going to have another vote on this thing. They'll give me one more shot at it. The Democrats will. If I asked Schumer and push him, he says, Chuck, I'd like to have another vote first before you rule this out completely on this bipartisan commission. You've got that. You've got basically a Richard Burr who voted for the impeachment, but then he didn't vote for this for whatever reason. And I know he thought because we we're doing all these other commissions, we're not really truly doing a bipartisan commission out of the political realm that we're in right now. And I've got four people. I got Steve Gaines in Montana, I think someone should be worked on, Jerry Moran in Kansas, Richard Bowen uh, in uh, North Carolina, and Roy Blunt in Missouri. We already have seven. Uh, We have seven, including Pat Tooney, that have already voted for it. Six voted for it. Uh, Pat wasn't there, but Pat already indicated he would have voted for it. So we're reaffirming that anybody that knows Pat Tooney. But if we could go back and show that we've reevaluated, we can do this commission the only thing I can tell you on that commission, uh, they were having every reason why they weren't going support First of all, it wasn't balance. Uh,
0: the they, they, uh, count, as far as the people on the committee. Yeah. All right, they so that's good in that one. So, so that's Joe Manchin telling his billionaire donors, here's the guys I think we can buy off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what <laughs> I heard. Roy Blunt's <laughs> going to retire, and he may need some money in his next life, so maybe we could get to him. I mean, talk, I mean is that a unbelievable i mean i guess it's not surprising this is what happens in dc the swamp but that's pretty i mean you know he's got seven of course he's got you know romney and, and he, all the usual suspects and he's looking for four more to get this commission and that way he says we can kind of tamp down on the whole uh filibuster yeah it's, it's nice that he mentions uh, future job prospects yeah what, what he meant by that <laughs> yeah and so I have another clip here where he talks about the filibuster. If you think he's 100% a um, filibuster's a non-starter, oh, my good friends, you need to think again. As I told you, if we're putting 100% of our hope into Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, you better hold your nose while we do it because that is no guarantee. And, well, guess what? This leaked audio phone call proves that to be the case because in one breath joe says you know most of them know the filibuster to me is a non-starter but we're throwing around some ideas that may be some good ideas so i mean to me it's pretty it's either yes or no joe i don't know how it could be kind of a gray area if now there's some ideas that you're open to but uh i'll play that for you tomorrow As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines protecting us. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, Sheet. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the Live from Studio 6B audience. We'll see you tomorrow night on a Thursday, 8 p.m. More from Geneva. More Senator Joe Manchin. More Biden on the tarmac. We'll see you tomorrow night.